Welcome to another episode of Chart of Fortune, the podcast where I look at the birth charts of the moments and things that made pop culture. I'm your host, Elise Blaylock, and by this time this episode airs, we will have less than 48 hours until the biggest garbage fire of a year comes to a close. So here's to you, 2020. May you rot in hell. And what kind of Eve of New Year's Eve celebration... Okay, I'm finding out this is not a holiday. It's just called Wednesday. But anyway, what kind of New Year's Eve Eve themed celebration would it be if I didn't review a New Year's Eve themed movie? I mean, I guess it would just still be Wednesday, but like that's missing the point. It would be sad. It's almost as tragic as our topic this week, which is the 2011 movie New Year's Eve. Now, it's not tragic in that it's a real tearjerker or often offers like a deep examination into the frailty or sanctity of human life and connection. It's tragic because in 2011, it feels like a million years ago. We were living in an Obama first administration. We cared about Josh Duhamel and Katherine Heigl was relevant. We had yet to cancel Leah Michelle. Life was like simpler then. We could go anywhere we wanted without wearing a mask and our lives around which revolved around which Instagram filter was currently trending. We did not know how good we had it. And yes, life wasn't always easy. We had to suffer through so many Pinterest outfits involving an infinity scarf and a tiny belt and a cardigan. We were all obsessed with piling our hair on top of our head and wearing tall boots and having a damn arm party with so many jingly jangly bracelets. We should all take a moment and be thankful that nary a one of us were the victim of an attempted murder plot because of the noise emanating from our oversaturated wrists to the coworkers and friends and loved ones who saw our bangles and kept their violent thoughts at bay. You are what makes our country great. 2011 was so similar to Plato's allegory of the cave. We were all living in a Kate Spade and Starbucks matrix, and we had to dig ourselves out of the gray and white living room we created for ourselves on Pinterest. We had to learn the hard way that peplums don't really work for anyone. We had to take a look around and decide for ourselves if leggings were indeed pants. And now... At the end of 2020, going into 2021, we find ourselves in a similar place, living in the beginning of a new decade, so much promise yet to come. But we've replaced gray with beige and Pinterest with TikTok and arm parties and leggings with with designated clothing as daytime pajamas and nighttime pajamas. So maybe we've just found ourselves in yet another cave, Dalgona coffee in hand, doom scrolling through memes, and wondering why all Instagram influencers have the same weird ashy blonde and hair and overly whitened teeth, and why they seem to run only on Chick-fil-A and weird blackboards with white letters on it. And why are they using phrases like buttery soft and swipe up and hey mama to signal their alien overlords that it's finally time to take over our sad and weakened country? Okay, like maybe that last part is just just me then. I mean, it's all fun and games and social observation until you have Aquarius as your fifth house ruler and all of a sudden your mere concerns over Instagram are now a full-blown conspiracy, according to your husband. But let's get into this episode's topic. This movie, New Year's Eve, has the tagline, let love be your resolution. And I'll be honest, I don't think there's like any amount of fancy appetizers or sparkly makeup that makes that sentiment not feel totally cringeworthy right now. I mean, maybe 2021 is the year we give up resolutions because if this year taught us anything, it's that you can make all the plans you want and the universe does not care. 
Okay, clearly Capricorn season has invaded my thoughts and overrun my mind with cynicism. But moving on, let us celebrate the only holiday that endorses kissing random people at midnight and combining fireworks and sparkling wine. And in keeping with this th- film's theme of a star-studded cast, there are some special guest epi- stars in this episode as well. So joining for, first and foremost is Mariah Carey, who is arguably the queen of New Year's Eve. She's performed at least two years in a row and has an awesome cover of Auld Lang Syne. Mariah, give it to me straight. What are your feelings about New Year's Eve, the movie? Okay, I mean, you could grab some tea, Mariah. I, I will circle back to you. Okay, great. Glad we covered that. Now, chances are, my beloved listener, you have not seen New Year's Eve since it came out in 2011. Or maybe you're like me and you hadn't seen it until now. Yes, I held off for nine years because I have three planets in Capricorn, and that means that I possess a lot of willpower. Or, you know, the entire internet decided that this movie was terrible, and so I've avoided it like the plague. To be fair, if you go into IMDb, the top asked question is, why did Gary Marshall choose this film? And I feel you, random internet stranger, because I had this question as well. Now, if the IMDb answer is to be believed, and that is a big if, Gary Marshall is a New York native. Okay, that part we know. But he often went to Times Square to watch the ball drop, and he even got engaged to his wife on New Year's Eve. There are little nods to his life because his sister and his daughter are extras in the movie, and Halle Berry wears a pink dress in the same shade as Gary's wife was wearing when he proposed to her. Because when you realize you want to spend the rest of your life with someone, you want the rest of your life to start as soon as possible. Okay, for true heads, it's obviously Harry Met Sally, not New Year's Eve. I think Harry Mattel is the ultimate New Year's Eve movie, but we made our bed and we're going to lie in it. This is the perfect moment, too, to introduce my next special guest. I'm joined by Leah Michelle, fresh off becoming a new mom and being shunned by America. Leah, can you tell me a little bit about making the movie and your character, who also happens to share my fabulous first name, which is Elise? Fine, Leah Michelle, you can go ahead and fake problems with your Zoom and and leave. If you're going to be like that, then there is some tea that Mariah was asking for earlier, and it's this. Leah Michelle plays a backup singer to John Bon Jovi's pop star character in the movie. He's named Daniel Jensen, which seems like the least pop star name of all time. Okay, but in real life, Leah Michelle almost hit John Bon Jovi with her car the year before they made this movie. Now, I don't know what's more terrible, the fact that she almost killed a 1980s pop star icon, or that she thought reversing on Robertson Boulevard was a reasonable thing to do. Since I'm 0 for 2 on the guest stars, you know what? I'm just going to carry on. I will do this myself. I I got this. New Year's Eve, the movie, much like Valentine's Day, which was also produced by Gary Marshall or Love Actually, is a series of stories within other stories. So the characters are all interconnected to one another. Here is the plot of this movie. Hilary Swank is in charge of the ball drop in Times Square, and she's being helped by her friend and NYPD cop, Ludacris. Her dad, Robert De Niro, is dying in a hospital and being watched over by a nurse played by Halle Berry. 
Elsewhere, Abigail Breslin and her mom, Sarah Jessica Parker, argue over Abigail going with her friends to Times Square for New Year's Eve because SJP would rather have a quiet night at home so she can then rendezvous with Josh Dumel, a secret businessman who has been unlucky in love and is being forced to host a gala where John Bon Jovi is performing. And John Bon Jovi is trying to win back his ex-fiancee, Catherine Heigl, who happens to be catering that event. But Abigail goes missing because she sneaks out of her bedroom SJP phones her younger brother, Zach Efron, who's spending all day with Michelle Pfeiffer, helping her accomplish her New Year's resolutions. And in exchange, she will give him her tickets to a cool New Year's Eve party. He plans to invite his best friend, Ashton Kutcher, but Ashton Kutcher is actually stuck in an elevator and slowly falling for Leah Michelle, who is the backup singer to John Bon Jovi. Now, John Bon Jovi is performing at Times Square and this gala because, you know, being an aging rock star means making tough choices when it comes to your finances. The most believable plotline, though, might be the one involving the New Year's Eve baby contest in which Jessica Biel and her husband Seth Meyers are battling Sarah Paulson and some actor I don't know, but apparently he was like Induce Bigelow, European Gigolo, and Muppets Most Wanted. So there is that. And there, if there isn't anything more Capricorn season than winning money for giving birth to the first Capricorn baby of the year, full circle, I will say this. It is very cool that the movie began filming on December 31st, 2010, and a lot of the movie actually uses real Times Square New Year's Eve footage and the backdrop of it for their movie, so they didn't have to pay for extra sets or anything, um, and they did film some scenes later in February in New York. It's perhaps even more amazing that all of the information that I just shared with you was not for some charming interview with Gary Marshall from On Entertainment Tonight. It was actually from a Katherine Heigl fan site. I have linked to it in my show notes if you want to go look at it. But for our birth chart, I'm going to use the date December 31st, 2010. I'm using noon as the birth time since we don't know exactly what time they started filming that day. And I'm using New York City, New York State as the birthplace. When we pull up the birth chart for the movie, you will see that it is a Capricorn sun and a Scorpio moon. We don't have the rising because we don't have an exact birth time. And this Capricorn sun, Scorpio moon, it gives me a very pragmatic sun self energy. The movie wants to make money, be successful like a Capricorn. And then this deeply emotional water moon that is in Scorpio fashion, not too quick to reveal their emotions. You know, it's a little homage to Gary Marshall's life, but it doesn't hit us over the head with emotionality. But real talk, what's super interesting about this chart is the shape. Because if you looked it up, all of the planets are in the top half of the chart. Imagine, if you will, a pizza. Okay, you got this. There is a single cut across the middle of the whole pizza from east to west, right? Like across hamburger, not hot dog. Okay, this chart would be a pizza with lots of toppings only on the top half of that pizza, above that line that we cut. And the toppings would be planets and aspects of the chart. And what's more interesting is that when you look at a chart like that, you might automatically think, Okay, there's like a stellium, right? So three of our planets in one sign since they're all grouped really tightly together. But there isn't in this chart. It's just that the chart contains like only planets in five signs all in a row. So we start with Saturn in 16 degrees of Libra and we go all the way to Jupiter and Uranus, which are both in 26 degrees of Aquarius. So the chart only has planets in Libra, Scorpio, Sagittarius, Capricorn, and Aquarius. Oh, and Pisces. So it's kind of random. 
As with many Lifetime or Hallmark movies, New Year's Eve, the movie asks its viewers to suspend certain realities in order to remain present while watching the film. There are plot holes and script issues, and these are meant to be glossed over or simply disregarded in order to continue watching all of the 118 minutes. And this kind of hard-to-pin-down story is really expressed in the Neptune Square moon placement. In this chart, we have Neptune in 26 degrees of Aquarius, and that is forming a square to the moon, which is in 25 degrees of Scorpio. Squares mean tension. This is the tension between the planet ruling emotions, the moon, and the planet that like rules our dreams and, you know, the esoteric parts of our mind. It feels like muddy or hard to understand. And if that's how you're feeling, then you have this placement figured out. For example, Robert De Niro is a dying but successful businessman who has cancer and maybe Alzheimer's, and that is very sad. But we are given some clues about the fact that he was successful, but no real information as to why he was successful or anything about his life. We literally do not know what his backstory is, but we are supposed to feel sad or overwhelmed or emotional when he inevitably passes away after watching the fireworks with his daughter, played by Hilary Swank. This is the emotional climax of the film, but honestly, it falls flat. We don't know anything about Hilary Swank and Robert De Niro as a family. He seems to have more of a connection to Halle Berry, in all truthfulness, the nurse on duty that he, I think, mistakes for his dead wife in a really awkward scene. There is no world where Halle Berry and Robert De Niro's child look like Hilary Swank in a tragic square-shaped fur hat. That is a literal fact. Or in another plot, while we're at it, a bike messenger party boy played by Zac Efron helps Michelle Pfeiffer, who is hiding out in dark brunette Mary Lou Retton wig and dowdy sweaters, achieve her ridiculous New Year's Eve to-do list, which includes saving a life. To do this, she adopts an adorable puppy who is never seen again as they gallivant through New York City and Times Square during the infamous New Year's Eve ball drop. These emotional moments I've mentioned just don't work because we either don't have enough information to have them be impactful or because parts of this story literally don't make sense with the rest of the plot. Now, in this chart, we also have the moon in 25 degrees of Cancer forming a trine to Uranus in 26 degrees of Pisces. So we have the moon, which rules our emotions and our inner self, not like our intellectual self or our physical self, but that inner emotional self. Some astrologers say that the moon even rules uh, your inner child in a happy, breezy connection with Uranus, which of course is the planet of the unusual, the unexpected, and the subject to change. Now, this placement could be interpreted as someone who has changes in their emotions frequently, or maybe experiences deep emotional change throughout their life. But for this purpose, I think this is about someone or something that is liked by people. Generally, there are positive emotions, but There are not emotions that are like typical of liking someone. I will explain. Take, for example, the fact that the movie was well-received at the box office and it is the successor to another successful movie, Valentine's Day, and that means that this movie was part of pop culture in the late 2010s. If we are taking the old adage, imitation is the highest form of flattery, then New Year's Eve was definitely beloved by pop culture tastemakers because the movie was parodied on SNL and an episode of 30 Rock. On SNL, they did uh, Apocalypse, so the last day on Earth as the theme of the movie. And then on 30 Rock, they did a tremendously misguided uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Day plot. Um, Yeah, that didn't age well. Okay, 
The final placement that I want to discuss in the chart is the Sun and Pluto conjunction. And in this, we see the Sun being in nine degrees of Scorpio, and that is forming a close conjunction to Pluto in five... I'm sorry, the sun is in nine degrees of Capricorn, and that is forming a close conjunction to Pluto in five degrees of the same sign, Capricorn. The planet of self is being smushed next to the planet of power. And this has like a house of cards diabolical energy to it. Now, I'm not saying that I think that it definitely means that someone or something with this placement is evil or Kevin Spacey, but I think that it means that they might be more calculating and at their worst, more ruthless. And they're definitely going to be more intense than the average Capricorn you run across, which I know they're kind of intense on their own. And in the case of this chart, I think that it's more about the production of this film was less about a script or telling a bunch of interconnected stories. But instead, it's a ploy to cast a bunch of famous actors in a film that will be highly lucrative for all involved. Moving on, the film premieres on December 5th, 2011, and for this second chart, I'm using Hollywood, California as the birthplace because that is where the premiere took place. Now, all the photos uh, look like it was at night, but I couldn't find an exact time, so I'm, again, going to use noon as the birth time. We know that the movie was a box office success. It premiered at number one. It grossed $13 million in its first week alone. But the chart hints at the fact that this movie was not going to remain in the hearts and minds of countless Americans. Now, here we have a little sinistry, and that is some moon opposition Saturn. In the premiere chart, the one we just talked about, we see that the moon is in 20 degrees of Aries, and that is opposing Saturn in the original birth chart at 16 degrees of Libra. This is what we call a transit, right? Because this is happening in 2011, and the chart we're looking at Um, is from the year before. So if this happens to you, and it definitely could have a situation where the moon opposes your natal Saturn, your relationships might be kind of suffering in this moment. Um, Moon transits, as you probably figured out, move pretty quickly. So this is not a long-term thing, but it's kind of sucky. You might feel really crappy and you might feel kind of depressed, which is definitely a Saturn signature. You might feel like, have everyone get away from me. I do not want to see anyone. I don't want to deal. In this case, I think that this is about the audience can connecting with this movie. The feelings, right, Moon, that they have are kind of clouded by the Saturnian depression and sadness. And I think it makes them feel like disconnected and isolated, uninterested in like the deep emotions that are trying to be, uh, you know, presented in this film. And to add further insult and injury in this, Uranus in the premiere chart, so that's the first, or the chart that we're looking at now, is at zero degrees Aries, on its own, a little chaotic, but it's also forming a square to that original chart sun in nine degrees of Capricorn. So Uranus squaring your sun is all about instability within yourself and changes within relationships, even the relationship you have with you. The movie is star-studded, so relationships, but honestly, I watched it. I paid to watch it. It's rudderless. Uranus is pushing on the planet of self, and it's not a particularly auspicious time to have a premiere where the movie is presenting itself to others, right? A movie premiere is like a job interview, but fancy and with more alcohol. Imagine that you go on a job interview hoping to have someone like you and then they, and want to hire you, but there's a Uranus transit, and the interviewer is like, Hmm, I just I just don't feel like you're the one, right? Like I just I I can't pin it down, but this Uranus vibe, it's it's 
it's kind of uncertain. I just can't say yes. Now, to be fair, not all critics and audiences, you know, hated this movie. I mean, most did. But New Year's Eve has a 7% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. So I would say not an exceptional film. But on the other hand, I don't think we should just rely on critics to determine whether a movie is good or not. I mean, think about cinematic classics like It's a Wonderful Life and the Hillary and Haley Duff movie Material Girls, both of which were panned by critics when they came out and now have become beloved by generations of viewers, or at least my dog and I. But this movie was universally panned. It was nominated for five Razzie Awards, but unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, it lost out to Adam Sandler's Jack and Jill. Now, Jack and Jill, that will be the first and last time I mention that movie on this podcast. So I will conclude the birth charts portion of our story by quoting Roger Ebert's review, because I feel like he's the only bitch who's as salty as I am. Quote, New Year's Eve is a dreary plod through the sands of time until finally the last grain of time is trickled through the hourglass of cinematic sludge. How? How is it possible to assemble more than two dozen stars in a movie and find nothing interesting for any of them to do? Oh, Roger, you're bad. And now I bring you the sunshine astrology of New Year's Eve characters. Just as with Love Actually, some of the characters in this movie simply are not in the film long enough to make a determination on their sun sign. And just like the Love Actually episode, I'm going to go through the Zodiac and name which characters are which signs. Ready? Okay. Aries. There are two fierce and fabulous Aries ladies in this movie, and they are Laura, played by Katherine Heigl, and Haley, played by Abigail Breslin. Laura is an up-and-coming caterer who has lists. She's ready to pull off the charity gala of the year. Girl is prepared, and she has a ton of energy. But when she runs into her ex-boyfriend, her fiery Aries son gets set off. We find her throwing eggs at a poster of his face before proposing to her and then running away to go on tour. And when she confronts him, she makes sure to slap him not once, but twice. So there is no confusion where she stands with him. The off and on Laura Daniel Jensen connection is peak fire sign relationships. Although he is not an Aries, I will get to him later. They run hot. Okay. They care deeply about one another, but they have a little bit of a fire sign tendency to sabotage when they feel like things might be getting a little serious. Like a typical Aries, Laura cannot hold a grudge though. And she realizes she still has feelings for her singer ex. That doesn't mean that she doesn't spend part of the movie making fun of him to him. It just means that she doesn't want to hate him anymore. Now, Haley is our teenage protagonist who is also an Aries. She is the ringleader of her friends, and she isn't afraid to be a little blunt and assert herself. This girl is looking for an adventure, and she is not going to wait around for people to tell her that she can't see the world and find love, do it all. In fact, she sneaks out of her bedroom window to go to a New Year's Eve party in Times Square. When she sees her crush being kissed by a classmate, she confronts him, says, what the hell? I thought this was a thing. And then she kisses him. She's also got that Aries loyalty, and she pushes her mom to go make out with a random dude that she met on New Year's Eve last year. She's like, mom, get some, live a little. Now, Taurus, Haley's lovely mom aforementioned, Kim is played by Sarah Jessica Parker, and she's a total Taurus. Yes, she has this Venusian influence because her job is creating and styling costumes for a large theater, and she is very stubborn. 
numerous people ask her to go to a, a party and she absolutely refuses. There's also a running gag where everyone mocks SJP's clogs and this particular pair is very tourist to me. They are sensible and a little stylish and the fur lining is both peak 2011 vibes and also perfect for cold weather in New York City. And also faux fur feels so touring. It's cozy, it's warm, it feels luxe. Gotta love it. Okay. There is one Gemini in this movie. I'm thrilled to say that her name is Elise, and I'm not as thrilled to say that this character is played by Leah Michelle. It's pretty clear that while Elise is ambitious to get her singing career off the ground, she is also a little flaky because she's running late to that job, and she completely panics when she got stuck in the elevator with Randy, who's played by Ashton Kutcher. In true Gemini fashion, she's nice for a short while, especially after she thinks Randy can help her escape this broken elevator but after failing to pick the lock and escape out of the top of the elevator she then turns on randy and saltily identifies him as a wannabe hipster who judges everyone in a verbal assault in a conundrum all too familiar to gemini's and the people that love them elise loves to sing and she wants to be a famous singer for a living but she feels really weird just like singing for one person so she has to make randy turn away from her and then she totally blows him away with her voice Elise ends her elevator imprisonment by using her patented air sign imagination, and she makes Randy pretend that he's at a party with her so she can flirt with him. The fourth son of the Zodiac, Cancer, makes a good showing in this film, with Officer Brendan Nolan, played by Ludacris, and Ingrid Withers, played by Michelle Pfeiffer, portraying the fixed water sign. Now, Brendan is a cop, but mostly he's a good friend to Claire. He helps her overcome her fear of heights, and he's a good listener to every single person around him. It's clear that Brandon is happiest when his wife and his kids are around and they join him at the end of the movie to celebrate the new year, which it totally makes his day. Now, Ingrid is a different kind of cancer, but she is a little bit more of a homebody. She can't think of anything worse than being out at night at a loud concert and it's very clear that she hates commuting into the city. She can't hide how much of a soft-spoken homebody she is and she makes a resolution to make more eye contact in the new year. There is no motorcycle ride that is safe enough for Ingrid, no helmet that is secure enough, no new thing that appeals to Ingrid except for rescuing a small puppy that she promptly names Mr. Snugglepuss. If that isn't the most Cancerian name for a dog, I I don't have time. Okay, moving on to Leo. Now, it might be cheating if I claim like the rock star character Daniel Jensen, played by John Bon Jovi, is a Leo. I mean, yeah, it is kind of cheating, but hear me out. He also has really good hair, which is totally a hallmark of a Leo. He loves to make a bold entrance, again, Leo, and he is very loyal because his ex, Laura, that he jilted, he proposed and then left in the middle of the night. He still cares about her, and he is the reason that she got the gala catering job. Leos love hard, man. Okay, Virgo. Claire Morgan, played by Hilary Swank, and Tess Byrne, played by Jessica Biel, are both the sixth sign of the Zodiac, mutable Earth maiden Virgos. Claire has a to-do list and a plan for New Year's Eve, and she has even strong opinions about how one throws confetti. You don't just throw it into the air, right? One floats confetti in front of a fan with an open palm reaching outward. You do not just throw paper into the night willy-nilly. Claire is introduced to us as the person, quote, in charge, and we see her valiantly organize and problem solve for an entire movie. I am tired just thinking about what Claire Morgan accomplishes in a day. 
Tess is a little bit different. She's more a competitive Virgo woman who will stop at nothing to have her baby be the first infant born in the new year. To this extent, she tries to swallow anchovies and castor oil. She does yoga headstands. She is willing to take a pedicab to the hospital. And, you know, in true Virgo fashion, she's like a little cynical about her doctor's woo-woo suggestions to meditate and visualize. Tess remains Virgo calm when she is stressed, and she helps everyone around her focus on what's important, and that is bringing her sweet baby boy into this world. Now, one would think that a movie about a holiday that loves sequins and champagne would be chock full of Libras. And yet, only Ava, a minor character played by Sofia Vergara, is a Libra. She's romantic, she leads with her Venusian love of relationships, celebrity gossip, and is the exact opposite of her boss, Laura, who's an Aries. Laura and Ava have the exact opposite views on love, which could be expected from two opposite signs. But Ava deeply loves Laura... And loves love. So she agrees to help her boss and her ex, Daniel Jensen, rekindle their connections. And she does it all while walking a fabulous, rocking a fabulous cocktail dress and some serious heels. Very Libra. Okay, Scorpio, the fixed water sign and the eighth sign of the Zodiac is exemplified by Randy, played by Ashton Kutcher. He's a keen observer of humanity as a comic book illustrator, which feels very Scorpionic. He's dramatic. He's moody. We meet him when he's tearing down all of the decorations in his apartment's hallway, except to change a sign saying Happy New Year to instead read Crappy New Year. So salty. So scorpionic. He mentions that his ideal holiday is to be left alone instead of being stuck with fake friends in a New York winter weather. And a note on Randy and Elise. I I know. Gemini's Scorpio's not the most compatible matchup. But they are the two signs of the Zodiac that would be able to be stuck in an elevator for hours on end without anyone worrying about them. Friends of Scorpios know better than to disturb them, and friends of Geminis know that trying to get a hold of them is sometimes harder than herding cats. Moving to Sagittarius. Paul Doyle, played by my beloved Zac Efron, is a total Sag. We see him cruising through the city on his motorcycle, flirting with everyone and everything in sight, and he totally steals candy from an office he does not work at. Paul knows all of the coolest places in the city, and he takes Ingrid to museums and even a spa that looks like a five-star hotel in Bali. But like a true Sagittarius, Paul isn't above saying something rude that he immediately regrets. He calls Ingrid pathetic when he's talking to Randy on the phone, and then he has to spend the second half of the movie making it up to her. But with a glamorous New Year's Eve kiss and some crazy dance moves, he's a total Sag, and he wins her back. Moving on to Capricorn. Sam Ahern Jr., which is played by Josh Duhamel, is the salty, seacoat Capricorn of this movie. He dutifully attends his friend elo- his friend's elopement, and then he has to leave right on time to keep his schedule of returning to the city to give his speech at his family's New Year's Eve gala. Sam's got it all figured out. He's rented a reliable mid-sized sedan. He is wearing the tuxedo to the wedding because it's the same outfit he'll wear to this evening's party. That way he doesn't have to change or go home to do so, and he's shelled out for a navigation device so he can quickly make it back to NYC before sundown. But when he crashes his car, he has to pivot and quickly organizes a ride with the priest from the elopement by offering to generously pay from gas. But in true Capricorn fashion, he's concerned when he realizes he's agreed to pay for the gas for a large RV. Because, you know, credit cards do have daily limits. 
Sam is confident with business and associates and his family, but he's afraid of connecting in love and this mystery woman, okay, it's SJP, that he met from the New Year's before. But dude, Sam, you don't need to worry. You are locking lips with a Taurus who totally gets your need for structure and order. She likes sensible clogs. I've said enough. Okay, Aquarius. There are two characters that embody the final air sign of the Zodiac. They are Grace Schwab, who is played by Sarah Paulson, and Griffin Byrne, who is played by Seth Meyers. Grace loves to make a crass or ridiculous joke, and she's not competitive with Tess about which one of them will give birth first and thus win the prize money. Grace just wants to win the money. She has that self-composed but kind of aloof energy of so many Aquarians. And Griffin is first and foremost a logical person, which backfires in emotional situations. For example, he goes ahead and gets castor oil from his job as a veterinarian because he knows it will induce labor and get them the prize money, but he fails to consider that it tastes absolutely horrible and there is no way anyone in their right mind would ingest it. And he shows some serious Aquarian love of humanity when at the end of the movie, Griffin decides to lie about his baby's birth time so that Grace and her husband James, who, by the way, is like a mysterious Scorpio that runs a charm school, He decides to lie about the time so that they will win the money because he knows they need it more than he and Tess do. The final sign of the Zodiac and the final character that I'm covering uh, is about Pisces and Nurse Amy, who is played by Halle Berry. She's the only character who comes close to being as wise and kind as this water sign. She cares deeply about her coworkers and her patients. She is with Robert De Niro as he is dying, and she's present and empathetic with everyone around her. And like a good evolved Pisces, Amy makes time to dress up and video call her deployed husband to connect and celebrate ring in the new year. Amy knows that it's just as important to show up for yourself as it is to show up for others. Balance in all things. Scrubs and magenta cocktail dresses can happily coexist, baby. Now, I'm going to end the show with a very paraphrased version of Josh Jamel's soliloquy that ends the movie New Year's Eve. Sometimes it feels like there are so many things in this world we can't control. Earthquakes, flood, reality show hosts turn presidents, pandemics. But it's important to remember the things we can, like forgiveness, second chances, first starts. Because the one thing that turns the world from a lonely place to a beautiful place is love. Love in any of its forms. Love gives us hope, hope for the new year. That's New Year's Eve to me. Hope and a great party. Or in the case of 2020, snacks and that YouTube video that's a dumpster labeled 2020 being engulfed in flames. It's 10 10 hours long, so you can totally get your drink on. Now remember, whether you are a clog-wearing mama who made out with Josh Jamel outside of an abandoned restaurant, or a European expat who loves pork by hats and running a charm school, please remember that everyone and everything has a birth chart. But yours is a chart of fortune. Thank you for listening to Chart of Fortune. You can email or DM questions, comments, concerns, or future show ideas using the links to my email and Instagram, which are in the show notes. Please, please consider leaving a five-star review and rating on iTunes so that we can grow our pop culture astrology posse. And I will totally mail you a sticker. I leave you not with the magic of Allie Lohan's Christmas song catalog, but instead some spoken word musings courtesy of my final New Year's Eve special guest, Bad Daddy Pisces and CNN news anchor Wolf Blitzer singing some beloved past hits of 2018. Wolf Give the people some hot jams to end the year with.
remember this smash hit of the summer when Justin Bieber teamed up with my old friends, Luis Fonsi and Daddy Yankee. It's one of my favorites. Let me sing the words to you right now. Come on over in my direction. So thankful for that. It's such a blessing. Yeah. Turn every situation into heaven. Yeah. Oh, you are my sunrise on the darkest day. Got me feeling some kind of way. Make me want to savor every moment slowly, slowly. You fit me, tailor-made love. How you put it on. Got the only key. Know how to turn it on. The way you nibble on my ear. The only words I want to hear. Baby, take it slow so we can last long. <laughs> That's right, guys. That was uh, Despacito. I'm not surprised. I sympathize. I can't deny your appetite. You got a fetish for my love. I push you out and you come right back. Don't see a point in blaming you. If I were you, I'd do me too. That's right. That was Fetish by Selena Gomez featuring Gucci Mane. That's a classic. Baby, I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. Baby, I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. Being so bad got me feeling so good. Showing you up like I knew that I would. Baby, I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. Baby, I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. Feeling inspired because the tables have turned. Yeah, I'm on fire. And I know that it burns. That was Sorry, Not Sorry by Debbie Lovato. One of my favorites.